Praise God. I'd like you to open your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. And uh, I want to just share a message this morning entitled, Come to Me. Come to Me. That is taken from the words of Jesus as he is addressing uh, a crowd of people. And uh, in Matthew chapter 11, in fact, a crowd of people that were earlier in the chapter confronted by uh, some of the disciples of John the Baptist. And uh, Jesus then had gone on to uh, talk about his ministry and what it was that John the Baptist, I think, was thinking as he literally sat in jail wondering about his life and where it all fit into the plan of God. John had been a very public figure. He had been somebody that, um, you know, the long and the short of it is, is for a long time, was he was both dependent on God and God was dependent upon him. Uh, and all of a sudden now John the Baptist found himself in a position where it appeared as though God no longer needed him. That somewhere along the way there was a ministry that was coming along that uh, was going to take over. Jesus addressed some of the doubts that John had. And I am certain that as his disciples reported back to him that he was satisfied with that. Jesus, a little bit later on in this chapter, speaks to a number of unrepentant cities in the nation at that time. See, Jesus didn't just come to give us a message of um, a message that would make us feel better about ourselves, but he addressed the common problem of mankind, the problem that the Bible addresses from the very beginning of its pages all the way through to the very end, and that is one thing, it's called sin. We do believe sin is real and that it still exists. I don't believe in categorizing any number of sins simply because the Bible does not do that. The Bible just simply calls sin, sin. The very first sin was literally going against what God had commanded. Ultimately, it was pride that entered into the heart of Adam and Eve, and they decided to go their own way and do it their own way. Um, and then, so Jesus addresses some of the cities that he had preached to, that he had delivered a message of repentance to only to say how it was that they were unrepentant. But then a little bit later on down in Matthew chapter 11, and this is where I want to pick up, for those who think, well, sometimes when you read the Bible, there are some very difficult things to hear, I would say you are in the same company as anybody else. In fact, you are in the company with other disciples of Jesus who had followed Jesus that we're not going to take the time to read it, but over in the book of John, if you were to read through the book of John, you will find that there will be times where Jesus will say things and people will get offended. They'll be bothered by them. They don't like them. In fact, you read the Bible very much, you might be offended by some of the things that are written there because it doesn't speak to our sensibilities in terms of our politically correct age. 
It speaks to the problem of mankind. The depth of the problem of man goes all the way into the soul, and it is the problem of sin. But the question is today, is there a really a solution? Is the solution for me to mentally agree with some of the things that Jesus has said? I don't think that is. Is it for us to sort of hopefully somehow kind of partially come under the umbrella and wear a label across us that says, well, I'm Christian, which just simply means I'm not something else. No, I don't think it is. I think the solution is as simple as what Jesus said it is. Let's read Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28. And I'm really only going to deal with verse 28 but we'll read down through to verse 30. The Bible says this. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will will give you rest. Earlier in the, the worship service, Julian mentioned how it was that he was sharing with a friend, a co-worker, about the, the love of Christ, the amazing love of Christ, and the fact that there isn't anything that we can do to earn God's salvation. There isn't anything that we could ever do to earn uh, His favor and for God to be happy with us. Maybe it is, and I've seen this in, in other countries of the world. I have, I have stood in the Basilica de Guadalupe in, in, just outside of Mexico City, and I have watched men and women crawl on their knees across that, that plaza. And, and the, the, the marble is worn so, so much by people crawling across there on their knees that the, it's shiny as you see the, the people moving across, it shines by comparison to other places on that marble where people have, have just sort of walk across it. As they, they kneel and they go across thinking that somehow they're doing that is going to please God. That, that as they do some sort of act of goodness that God is going to be happy with that. That somewhere along the way God is, is going to be captivated by all the good stuff that you're doing. And yet the Bible doesn't ever reveal to us that it is our acts that gets God's attention. But instead it is our faith that gets His attention. You see, in order for us to even begin to do what it is that Jesus tells us to do here in verse 28 come to him, we have to believe that he will deliver on what he has promised. It requires faith. There is nothing else. I, I realize for much of, of in postmodernism that we are faced with in, in our current society that for many they view Christianity as just simply something that you're believing in blindness. I don't see that at all in the Bible. I don't see that at all 
uh, as we go through our Christian life, we're not mentally agreeing to something that cannot be verified. We're not mentally agreeing to something that cannot be found written on the pages of this wonderful book that has been written to the heart of mankind. And we're not, we're not agreeing to something that cannot be defended. But I want you to know, my friends, in the long and the short of it is simple. When we come to Him, we must believe. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6 you must believe that he is or in other words he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him and go after him listen you can go after a lot of things in life you can seek after a lot of things and they may fulfill you for a moment but Jesus is not talking about a momentary fulfillment he is talking about a fulfillment that will last for a lifetime and in fact he promised to Nicodemus when he was having that conversation with him in John chapter 3 he said that God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life I don't, I don't agree with the nihilism of the, the age the, the idea that says that simply you die and that's it there's nothing left after that you die, once you die, there's nothing else after that. No, the Bible reveals there's a whole lot more to it than that. You will continue to live. You do have an eternal soul. You do, you are an eternal being. You were created, but you will live for eternity. And Jesus is addressing an important issue here. He is saying, if you will believe in what I'm telling you, if you will believe that if there's anybody who can speak on authority on this, it is me, why don't you just come to me? Why don't you come to me? Because in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. That's a bold statement to make, but he made it. He says, I can deliver on the promise that I'm going to give you rest. Come to me. Have you ever received an invitation to go somewhere that you really don't want to go? I know I have. I, you know, we, we all have. If we're just going to be honest here today, and since you know we are Christians and we're not supposed to lie, right? And we are in the house of God. You know, it might be a good idea for us to just sort of fess up right now. You all received an invitation somewhere to something at some time, and and deep down on the inside of you, you're you're just saying, you're like a little kid. You know, I don't want to go. You know, throwing a fit. Inside, nobody sees it, but on the inside, you're just, you're on the floor kicking and screaming, I really don't feel like going. It's an invitation. Come, come to this, come to that. It's an amazing thing. Jesus gives an invitation here. And for many people in the world, they react the same way as you would react to an invitation to something that you really don't want to attend. I don't want to. But you know, the amazing thing about it is, is that even though at times we have a sense of obligation to go to a particular function, and maybe while we're there, we're just so absolutely miserable that we can't even stand it. We can't wait to leave. We can't wait to get out of there. We've done our duty. Our, our obligation has been met, and we leave, and we say, whew, thank God that's over. Hope I never get an invitation to something like that again. You know, the invitation comes... And the thing is, is that the invitation that Jesus gives, you're under no obligation, none whatsoever. 
You see, the beauty of the scripture and, and what it is that God has done and created you to be is he has created you with a choice, with a will. You can choose for him. You can choose against him. You say, well, why didn't he just, you know, when, it, when he created Adam and Eve, why didn't he just make it so that, you know, Adam and Eve just had no choice? They'd have been robots. They wouldn't have been people. They wouldn't have been human. To be able to have a choice, my friends, is the beauty of humanity. You have a choice. And he is inviting you today in your choice, in, in understanding. You have the freedom to refuse. You have the freedom to reject. But you also have the freedom to receive and to say, yes, I will come to you. And he speaks to that choice, that human choice that you have. He says, come to me. Now, why does he say for, for you to come to him. What is it about him? Wasn't Jesus just, you know, really just a good teacher? He was more than that. He said so. Say, come on. You know, you, you Christians, you, you all, you, uh, you put Jesus up there. I, we didn't put him up there. He put him up there. He is the only one in history that came. He was more than a prophet. He was more than a teacher. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What really ticked off the religious leaders of the day at that time, these, these you know, the scribes and the Pharisees as they were, and what really made them angry, what really made them mad is that Jesus suggested that he was around at the time of Abraham, who they clung to as their father. Abraham, they said, is our father. And Jesus said these words to them. He said, before Abraham was, get this statement, I am. In other words, I always existed. I always was. That blows the mind. We can't think back that far. It, it just it kills us all. We've got to put billions of years there. If we have some kind of starting point, we're happy. But he says, before Abraham was, I am. And that just made them so mad. Which lets us know this was no ordinary individual saying to each one of us, come to me. Wait a minute, we're not just going to some little party. We're not going to some little, you know, church meeting. We are going to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the one who says before Abraham was, I am, who John writes about in John chapter 1 and verse 1, that the in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. In the beginning, wait a minute, the beginning, there was a beginning, but it, be, it all began, but before the beginning, He was. And that's who is inviting you with all your difficulties, with all your troubles, with all your pains, with all your sorrows, students with all your tests and research papers, with all of the stuff that makes up life, with the mundaneness. Every now and then, you will find that if you're human enough and you live long enough, you will pace the floor trying to figure out how in the world to get out of the mundaneness of life. Trying to figure out how it is that you can, you can deal with the fact that you're doing the same thing every day. You've got a routine. Now, some of us love routine. We like, you know, you take the same way to work every day. You, you travel the same you know, you've got the same route, whether it's on the train or on the... You might have no choice. You're taking the train or the bus, but 
You know, if you drive a car, you know, you can mix it up a little bit if you drive. And I used to, every now and then, I'd get so tired of the way, when I worked up in Northbrook, I used to get so tired of the way I was traveling to work, I'd mix it up and go another way. Only to find that when I did, I hit construction, or I hit more bus routes than ever, and I got stuck behind school buses and all kinds of things, and I'd get to work late, and I'd say, I'm not going to do that again. But then I'd find another way. We're always trying to find ways out of certain things. Jesus says this, listen, you human beings, us humans, who I can identify with, because when I'm speaking this, I came to this world as a human, I want you to know that you can come to me, the one who always was, always will be, and guess what? I love you so much, I cared for you so much that I descended from heaven, came to this earth, I died on the cross for your sins, and I rose again on the third day. He says, come to me. Don't come to you know somebody's idea of me. Don't come to somebody's own thought process of what religion is all about. Come to me. Jesus wasn't inviting you to the Christian religion. He was inviting you to come to him. Come to me. Now he addresses our condition, at least in part, all who are weary and burdened. You've got an invitation. He says, come to me. But who, who is supposed to come? Well, the, the invitation's open to all But he's going to address a certain subsection, at least, of humanity. All who are weary and burdened. Pretty much is everybody. (laughs) In some way or another, and he's not talking about a physical weariness. He's not talking about the fact that you didn't get enough sleep last night because you don't feel well. He's not talking about you know, being so weary because you go out and you work hard and you work 50 hours a week or however many hours you might put in on the job. He's not talking about that kind of weariness. He's talking about a soul weariness, a weariness of your spirit that is just so weary from going after one thing or another and trying to find hope and trying to find life in those things. He is saying, I want you to come to me, you who are weary and of going after things that will never, ever Fill the void on the inside of you. Somebody once said that there is within the heart of every man a God-shaped vacuum. And it can only be filled by God. The problem is, is we try to stuff it with everything else. Because in our minds we think it can't be God. God is not, you know, even if you even agree that he exists. It can't be him that's got to fill the void. Look, I read here, Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary. Come to me, all who are burdened. It could be that you're burdened by life, that there are problems that are too big for you, that there are things that you can't quite figure out, maybe from the past, and it has has changed the trajectory of your life. Your past has sort of dictated your future. Can I let you know it doesn't have to be that way? Your past does not have to dictate your future. Because the burdens that you carry from the past can be laid at the feet of Jesus and put down. He says, listen, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'm going to give you rest. The one thing that eludes you, the one thing that you can't seem to get, I want you to know that I can give it to you. In other words, he's going to say, give me the burdens that you're carrying and I will carry them for you. Sing a little chorus from time to time. Oh, leave it there. Leave it there. Take your burdens to the Lord and leave it there. It's very scriptural. 
Because Peter writes in his epistle, he says this, casting all your cares on Jesus because he cares for you. How many of you have ever from time to time, I know I have, you've shared a burden of your life with somebody only to them look at you, have them look at you and say, yeah, I don't know what to do with that. You know? You know I mean, you just, you bear your soul. You know, maybe weeping, maybe tears, all of that. And they kind of look at you dumbfounded like, I, I don't know what to do about that. I think you need therapy. You know, they, they just, they don't know how to, you know, they don't know what to do with it. And it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like that first time that, you know, the guy gets up the courage to tell the girl, I love you. Only to her to have, you know, have her say, that's nice. <laughs> Not at all what he's hoping for. Not at all. You know, it's, it's the reciprocation. You want them to say, I understand. Yes, I love you too. But when you bear your soul and you give the burden to somebody and they're sitting there holding it and they're saying, I don't know what to do with this. You, you feel in your heart like, man, why did I just go through all of that? I gave it to somebody who couldn't do anything with it. The Bible lets us know that he is not somebody who doesn't know what to do with your burden, but instead you can cast all of your cares your anxieties, your burdens on him because the Bible says he cares for you. He loves you so much that he knows exactly what to do with your burdens and with your pain and with your weariness and with your suffering. Listen, my friends, you need to know today that Jesus cares about you more than you could ever imagine. He loves you more than you could ever dream. Think about the amount of love you might have had for somebody in your life, someone that, that came charging into your life and you love them with, with an unconditional love. He loves you that much and more. I don't think there is really any kind of words that can describe the love of God. The Bible does, in fact, do, it, it does so in a wonderful way and describes it for us. But I want you to know today, he says, you come to me, all you who are burdened, weary and burdened. And he says, here's the promise I'm going to make to you. I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. You know, there's no, no feeling to at least, a, you know, an achy body after doing a long, hard day's work of getting home, plopping down in a recliner or on the couch or hitting the, hitting the sack and just going to sleep. There's no better feeling for your body. Your body needs that rest. But Jesus is not talking about your physical body here. He is talking about your soul. He says, I have the ability to give you rest. But the prerequisite is this. You have to come to me. I can't do it for you. I can't give you this rest until you come to me. And so often... We find, we're, we're, so, we're going after things that we think is going to provide that rest in our soul. It's going to provide that satisfaction. It's going to provide that, that inner kind of peace. And there isn't anything that can do it but Jesus. He says, I will give you rest. He's not going to give you rest before you come to him. He gives it to you when you come. You can come broken. You can come to him with your, your heart in tatters, your heart 
broken to pieces, your life in, it just shattered because of one problem or another or some kind of a past that just did you in and you're, you're affected by it now. The Bible says that you don't have to be affected by those things any longer because he says, I'm going to give you rest. The things that tor torment you in your mind and in your heart and in your spirit, they don't have to torment you anymore because he says, I will give you rest. Will you just come to me? You know, I have two, two daughters, two girls, and uh, you know, they're different ages. They're 7 and 11. I have a 7-Eleven. And um, I'm sorry, that was, just, that was just bad, but I had to say it. When Jamie tur or Riley will turn 8 next, so, so I won't be able to use that anymore. Um, but, you know, at different stages of their life, you know, they, they are able to do different things for themselves. And, of course, um, over time, they learn independence, or at least the mindset of independence, before they can actually accomplish the task. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the first time you entrust them with an actual plate that's not plastic. And you, you are very clear on your instructions, both hands, you know, to take it, maybe to help clear the table. You know, you, you give them that, that ability. And, and every now and then, there is, you know there are certain things that they're just not there yet, at least early on maybe, that they're not there yet in being able to accomplish for themselves. And I, I know me, as a father, it's my nature and a father and a man to just jump in and just do it, you know. Here, let me take that. I'll do it. You want to do that, but, you know, every now and then a little bit of the stubbornness that comes from me only. Uh, <laughs> that was my wife laughing, by the way. Um, the stubbornness that comes from me, you know, takes over. And you know, you know that they're too small to do a certain particular thing. So you jump in and you immediately want to, you know, you just take over. And they're like, no, 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 I can do it only to see them, you know, spill whatever it is that they've got because they just want to do it themselves. They're independent. They want to have their own way. But you know they can't help themselves. You know, sometimes we're like kids who can't help ourselves. As much as we try or as much as we cover up the things that have happened in our past, and we get this air of independence. I am chief, and I can be in control, and I can handle it, and I can, I can make my life better, and I can do this, and I can do that. There is always something on the inside that's plaguing us that it's like a little child that's trying to fix something they don't have the ability to fix yet. And he says, if you come to me, you've got to know I will help you. I will give you rest. He has the ability to speak to whatever has been the problem in your life in the past. He has the ability to make it new. You say, can God really do that? Well, the Bible reveals that he can. Paul writes these words. He says, those that come to Christ, they are new creations. In other words, he comes down in us. No, we don't look different. I wish I could, but we don't look different. 
But on the inside, there's something new that is transforming, that is taking place. And the Bible calls it being born again, born anew, born of the Spirit. There is something that happens on the inside of you that changes your whole outlook on the world. It changes your, your view of what God has done and what God can do for your life. It gives you a hope and a future. And that's what God is all about. He, Jesus didn't say, come to me so that I can mess up your life more. He said, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. Come to me and I can help you with some of the things that are insurmountable. The problems that you may not be facing now, but you may face later on that are beyond your control. You need to know that I will help you. Can every head be bowed? And uh, we just close our eyes for a moment. <laughs>